So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast and I'm really pleased to welcome Judith Fenn. So Judith, welcome to today's show. Thank you. And what I will do is I'll just ask you in a moment to describe your role, your current role, but obviously you've done an awful lot of work in education and as a teacher. So can you say a little bit about your teaching career and then we'll come on to what you're doing Sure. Um, So I came into teaching when I was 25. I wanted a bit of time out after I left university, um, partly because I was absolutely, I read history and I was absolutely sick of reading history books by the time I left, which was a shame and I needed to have a break away from it. So I did a, a random variety of jobs that is another podcast. Trust me, that's going way off piece. And so I started teaching when I was 25 and I did 13 years in independent schools in three different schools as a history teacher initially, predominantly my route was pastoral. Um, it wasn't really a route. That sounds like it was really planned. It so wasn't planned. Um, it was one of those, you made a form teacher and then they said, you want to be ahead of year and say, do you want to be ahead of two year groups? And then they said, do you want to actually be a pastoral lead? And suddenly you're a pastoral lead in a school and you kind of look back and go, entirely certain how that happened, but great. Um, I was a hod for a little while as well which was good to get that experience because it's a very I thought it was a very different role it felt very different from the pastoral um and then I ended up as a deputy head whereupon I shifted career into what I'm doing now but you know I mean I was predominantly you know all the way through that period apart from the last two three years where I was a deputy I was a jobbing teacher as well my main you know my timetable was full of teaching and that was the main focus I suppose um, of my working day yeah we get a lot of early career teachers who you know they do have a plan and it's I want to be a deputy head I spoke to somebody uh, last week who who was a head teacher and he was on some fast track course and he he knew straight away he wanted to be a head it was really unplanned I was ambitious I think it wouldn't be you know it'd be unfair to say that I um I, I fell into it. I was ambitious. Um, and at one point, I absolutely saw myself as being ahead. Interestingly, I learned a huge amount. I think my steepest learning curve was as a deputy, because for the first time, I looked outside the teaching community in the school to the wider community in the school, to the fabric, to the buildings, to the finance, to the running of a school. And that taught me a huge amount, which in my not day job as a chair of governors, I call upon and that experience was really valuable for that but in terms of the jobs I like most the roles I like most in schools actually I was thinking about this earlier I was going for my little walk was head of 10 and um yes 10 and 11 that was the job I like the best um I mean that's not an easy job you know you know any kind of you know years 10 and 11 are an interesting beast um but that was what I like but I didn't I didn't see myself as I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I kind of thought you just go up the food chain and you become a head. And then I realised I didn't want to become a head. So, yeah. It was when you were a deputy head that you then decided to leave teaching. Yeah. Is that yeah. correct? So well, I de- yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, de- I decided to have a sideways career move What I for what I thought was going to be a, a few years. I decided yeah. I wasn't ready to be a head. And that was absolutely right. I wasn't. I wasn't. I mean, ego would probably have told me I was ready to be ahead. No, wasn't ready to be ahead. Um, and this opportunity arose to do a sort of sideways move out of teaching, but still involved with schools 
um, which was, of course, induction, statutory induction of newly qualified teachers, as they were then known. And I thought, that's really interesting. It will get me out of being in a single school. It's a breadth. It's across schools. It's across. It's, a ne- it's national. So it's all sorts of different schools and types and learning about newly qualified teachers and learning about teacher development I um, um, CPD was something I was always really keen on was something I always thought was terribly terribly important but meaningful CPD rather than I went on a course you know yeah, that CPD yeah. um and I saw it actually at the time as a an interesting step on a career ladder mm. that I and I then and at that time I had no I didn't think I wouldn't come back. I always right. thought I would come back in schools. Because that was the question I was going to ask you. I suppose I saw it as because it did become final, that it at that stage that it was probably a move to leave teaching. But as yeah. you say, you thought that you were going to go back. So I suppose the question is, did you miss teaching? Yeah. The students? Yeah, 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 yeah. I missed teaching. I missed because I loved my subject um, and I love teaching secondary senior um, and I got a buzz out of it. I got a buzz out of people being excited by history and and learning about history. And because I I taught um, an A-level that wasn't modern, people learning about a period they knew nothing about um, and they didn't have a framework for it. And I loved that. And I loved the opportunity to teach the IB, which I did at Seven Oaks, which I thought was brilliant to kind of and to teach international students. And, And so I got a huge amount out of teaching these pupils, these students, and their, what they learned from it. And I, I loved that. And so that I missed, and I still miss, I suppose, in a way. But the other thing I miss is the collegiality of a staff room or a common room. Mm. That, you know, that feeling of you go in and and you know what there's like, there's that, but I mean, and I know for the last two years nearly, it's been a slightly different thing because, you know, COVID is, and I, I actually, one of the things I always I always think when I look at newly qualified teachers or early career teachers now is people who trained in the last couple of years, particularly who did their EC NQT year in year one of the pandemic or year two, have missed that collegiality. They've missed because everybody's been siloed. And that collegiality, you know what it's like. You walk into the staff room at Bright, you walk into the common room, you can chat to anybody, you've got that common purpose. Mm. and possibly a common gripe or two as well you know there's always the coffee there's always the, and there's something about even now when we do visits although obviously a lot of that is online now but we're hoping to go back to in-person visits to walk into a staff room or a common room now you still get that oh yeah okay this is a familiar space I left what over a year ago now um, teaching and you miss the people you yeah. miss that camaraderie yeah. and it doesn't matter what position you are I'm not, no. I, I don't know if it's if you're ahead I'm sure you do miss you know being with with other people but it's the camaraderie it's the conversations um it's the positive atmosphere however I was going to ask you one more question I've, I've asked you there what what you missed is there anything where you went oh thank god I don't have to do that anymore I mean I guess I'd have to probably say some of the marking um <laughs> because as a history teacher Lordy, lordy, the marking was um, quite phenomenal, you know, um, big sets at GCSE and A-level or IB, and, you know, you're getting in a pile of work and you're thinking, well, okie dokie. Um, so I guess I didn't always miss that because I always, I kind of question anyway, and um, the, the reason we mark, you know, I know there's an examination, the public exam thing, but I, I question a lot of what we do in terms of assessment. 
my life now, my work life now is far more even. And I don't, you know, we don't have school holidays, but we don't need them to the same extent. You don't have that feeling in the summer that if you don't get that complete break, as well as doing some work, that you're never going to be refreshed to take you through the next year. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I I mean, ditto that. So coming on to your current role then, could you just say a little bit about what it involves and tell us about ISTE? We're an appropriate body, which is a designated DfE, Secretary of State approved body that has the remit to run statutory induction for newly qualified teachers or early career teachers, as they're now known. And we have that remit in fee-paying independent schools um, nationally and overseas. Um, And so that means that we are the body that is responsible for the quality assurance, the the oversight of what's going on in schools, the oversight of what the the programmes are for the NQTs, um, the liaisons with the DFE and also with what started as the TTA became the TDA became the I mean you know the different names that organization has had it's now the TRA you know the teaching regulation agency so we 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 sort of have that kind of liaison liaison role but it predominantly is working with schools um, and it's working with new teachers and that is is great and we have quite a large number I mean we've got about 1200 on our books this year across all of England, some overseas, totally different types of schools. And we see them through this statutory year and after which they are fully qualified, as you know, under English regulation, and they can go off and do pretty much whatever they want. So that's the role. And fundamentally that role hasn't changed. Although over the course of the years, the standards have changed that they're assessed against. The guidance has changed several times. The regulations have changed. They've now made it, they've now changed the name. They've now made it a two-year process. But the other thing that did happen that we didn't expect was we were initially part of the Independent Schools Council. And for the last 10 years, we've been an independent company. So in the process of doing this job, I've also set up a company. Now, that was something I didn't expect to do. And I had to learn about you know, the different types of company and um, what memorandum um, of understanding, what articles of association were, what, you know, um, and all this this underpinning of the smooth running of, of ISTIT, which the schools don't see, that makes sure that the company kind of functions because as well as being an appropriate body, we're also a company. So I've learned an awful lot around that as well. Um, yeah, and sort of still doing it but the government keeps throwing us nice challenges like let's just throw it all up in the air and make it very different i still fall into the terminology that has been there for a long a long time you know newly qualified teachers when i was training when you were training we probably just went through an induction year yeah or a probate i think it was called a probationary probationary year just one year (laughs) very little happened no standards nothing at all no no, no reports i just you know it was just like the just straightforward so we've now got the early career teacher and the framework for the early career teacher what's the change why did it change early career teacher newly qualified teacher what's what's what why do that and what's the difference now i think early career teachers suggest more of a continuum um rather than it being a one year newly you're a newly qualified teacher for one year and then you're not um and a lot of schools did run recently rqt courses recently qualified teacher <clears throat> but it was very much a standalone year and then you were supposedly the finished product and you were sort of spat out into the world of schools, and it was very much up to the school to take forward your career development. 
So I suppose this is a stepped entry, a longer process, an elongation of a process that carries on from ITT, the idea being that it gives more support and provides more tools for teachers to develop and thrive rather than struggle and not thrive. But also it, it stops the cliff edge of people falling off at the end of the NQT year, off you go, bye, off, you know, you totter off into the sunset and enjoy your life. Um, the idea is that you have longer and therefore you, you build up more expertise, um, more teaching pedagogy and practice that is going to stand you in good stead. And therefore, and there's of course a slightly hard edged reason behind this DFE thinking, which is retention of people leaving within the first five years of teaching. Um, now, that's quite interesting because retention stats in the independent sector are very good because we, we, we collect that and we've always had very good stats. However, what we don't know is after the NQT year, what ended, what people do and how they get on and whether they struggle, whether they thrive, whether they survive, what, whatever. So it is, it's an elongation, it's more support. It divides it more clearly into monitoring and support, which were always the two pillars of induction mm -hmm. but because of the early career framework which is very much the support it's made it a clearer um i guess delineation is it better though <laughs> the jury's out on that one um for two reasons the jury's out because we're in term two of year one um and the six terms now so in a way ask me in you know ask me in the first term of once we've gone through a cohort once we've got through two years because it's really hard to judge at the moment I think what's interesting is there's a general consensus that two years is a good idea, that to have a softer, shallower, elongated process works for the vast majority of new teachers. And even for those with a greater level of experience, if you see it as professional development, you can make it meaningful. And the one thing that hasn't changed are the standards. They are still the same, teachers still assess that, and they are broad, as you know, they are really broad. And you can adapt them. They can work for a, a head teacher, frankly. You can adapt them to whole school standards as well. So that kind of makes a huge amount of sense. The early career framework as a support tool is a really good idea. The programs that have sprung up around that, there's our full induction program for that's funded for state schools. There's core programs which have been um, devised by four providers. Then there's the schools, the, the option for schools to do their own route. Um, NAHT did a survey on new induction in December. And what they found was a sense of overload a sense of it's too much, particularly to do with the early career framework, not the framework itself, but the programmes and the time that that takes. So I think that's why the jury's still out, that, that it's too early to tell. But also, I think that quite a few people are finding that this is quite burdensome. Now, a lot of our schools are doing school-based, so they are not following the full induction route. Um, you know, we're hearing that some of the state schools that were following full induction route want to pull out, want to do core or want to do their own thing. Right. So I think there's going to be a settling. That's natural, though. You change something this much. It's not going to be, a, well, you change it and then it carries on. You have to have that kind of review and reframe. And I, I don't know where that will go, but I think that it has to be. The one, the one thing I feel very strongly about with the early career framework is it should be 
personal to each teacher's development. It's the single most important tenet of teaching. You have to differentiate. You mm. have to adapt and flex your lessons to, to take in the context and role of the school, to take in the context and role of the children, and then the context of the individual child. Because if you don't do that, you're not doing right by the children that you're teaching. Similarly, you can't have a one-size-fits-all program. You know, a lot of the ECF programs deal with standards one and seven, area, you know, areas one and seven in the first term, absolutely right for the, a lot of new teachers, but not necessarily for everyone. Say you've got somebody who's teaching A-level for the first time, you need to get them focusing on different standards. So I think that you've got to personalise. So my feeling is that there needs to be more flex around the personalisation of it. Was there enough consultation? The induction review was consultative. I mean, it's been the early career framework came out in 2018. You know, we're now in... 2022 so it's and we have been you know the early career framework and the initial consultation period you know we have had meetings first of all it's part of our remit that we take meetings with the dfe but the dfe team have consulted right. some and and have listened now they haven't listened to everything we've said no they have listened to everything we said they haven't acted on everything we've said so we i think we have felt that there are opportunities have been opportunities in as part of the process we also have felt that we've been able to feed back. We will continue to do that. We're doing our own checks on how this is. We're going to be able to gather data and, and report that back to the DfE. I would like them to hear what people are saying around personalization. I think that's really important. But I think we have felt consulted. But I, I would stress that I think the induction review has been very, very different from the ITT review. And do you feel the independent sector? has been welcomed in the review process. I I have absolutely no truck with this. We are the independent sector versus the state sector. And I know that there are people who feel very differently. I know it's a, and people whose roles mean that it feels very different. For me, running ISTIP and being part of the induction process from the time we started in, you know, from the time I started this to now, I have always felt like, We've been consulted. We are one of the largest appropriate bodies as well. So we also have a voice, which is interesting because in that sense, we're slightly out of proportion to the number of independent schools because we take through a large number of ECTs nationwide. And there are only two national appropriate bodies for induction. So in that sense, it makes us slightly unusual with that we have a countrywide view of the process. And our schools, as you know, are very, very different. You know, that there is a you know, there is a fantastic press thing where they always want to show a picture of one of the leading independent, usually boys, usually boarding schools. And if there's a top hat in sight, hurrah, we've done our job. We know that the schools that are in the independent sector are a broad, broad church of very different types. And therefore, we can bring that expertise, whether that be special schools or whether that be boarding schools or whether that be day or whatever. Um, so we have, you know, we I don't think there's been that gap. We're also a single issue. Teacher induction has strands that work in the state sector, in the independent sector. There are strands about what new teachers need. There are strands around training and retaining teachers that we're all on the same page on. So I think there's a huge amount um, of synergy. So we have enjoyed a good and positive working relationship with the induction team. You know, I sat on 
and help write the 2012 standards. You know, they invited me onto that. And so when I look at those standards, I have huge pride because I love those standards. So I hadn't ever felt that we've been sidelined, but we've always come at it from a point of view of we're all, we're here to develop teachers. We need to collaborate. You know, we're not politically point scoring. We're not, we're not that kind of person because actually who, who are we harming if we do that? You know, we want to do the best by our teachers and by all new teachers. So what can we bring to that? And we have got expertise, you know, and one thing we do have is years of experience of inducting teachers quite successfully. I just want to try and pick your brains very, very quickly, just about that ITT review. Do you think there's a real problem there in terms of it minimising people's opportunity to get into teaching? I think there are bigger problems about people going into teaching than the ITT review, because if you're thinking of starting into teaching um, and starting to find a course, you're not looking at the ITT review and the content, to be honest. People aren't coming into teaching. And why not? Because you look at the way teaching is, is, is portrayed in the press. You look at the burnout. You look at the last two years of the pandemic and the fact that teachers are frontline workers with no recognition for that that got hammered by government time and time again in the early days about, you know, teachers should be doing more, teachers should be this. That's died down now, thank goodness. Um, but it wasn't just government. It was all political parties. It was the press. And now COVID's over because we all know it's, you know, COVID is coming to an end, except it's not in schools, you know, except there's, you know, some schools have got 120 cases and a third of the staff are out and schools are coming into the third year of what's happening with exams. And people looking at this as a career are going, do I really want this? You know, is this for me? So I worry about that because obviously getting people into the, a profession, whatever the sector. Um, and it's such a glorious job. It's such a glorious job. And I worry that people aren't seeing that. And I think that's terribly sad. I suppose the question I should have asked is, you know, why would people go into teaching now, wouldn't it, after all the yeah. things that you've talked about? It's extremely worrying. And we haven't seen that for a number of years. More schools need to think about job shares. More schools need to think about how they can make it attractive for men and women and people who want to come into teaching or return to teaching or train and how that can kind of work, because I think there's a whole untapped resource there. But I think that things will settle after the pandemic, but we are going to see a lot of people. We were already seeing it the last two, three years have seen a bleed out of the 50 pluses from the profession. Um, and people saying, no, it's not for me anymore. Or why would I carry on doing this when I'm 53 and I can do something else and I don't have to draw down my pension yet? And why would I not want to do that? Because this is exhausting and I can't do it anymore. And circumstances have changed and my life has changed and the pandemic has maybe sped up a decision I was going to make or has precipitated or has changed my mind completely. And therefore, the young people, and predominantly, I'm, I'm not stereotyping because I know from the stats that the majority of our ECTs are aged 21 to 28. So the young people coming into teaching um, are going to be plugging gaps sooner than perhaps they th than anyone expected. And I think it could shake up the sector, but then I think there's opportunities there. We should be thinking boldly about this. We should be thinking about leadership 
from an early stage. We should be thinking about fast tracking. We should be thinking about flexible and co-working and, and job sharing. And we need to think creatively around this. Yeah. Do you know what I also think as well, as we're sitting here talking about this, I think in terms of teaching, valuing the over 50s as well. Yeah. Valuing our older staff instead of being the people that are first out the door if there's like redundancy or yeah. you know they don't get promoted anymore and they've got that wealth of experience and you know just valuing over 50s male or female i think also a flexible working for over 50s because you can you've got that in you've often got the accrued experience institutional memory you know the kind of a lot of absolute excellent i don't want to use the word resource but i can't think of a better word within that person maybe they want to work three days a week maybe they want to do something different you know and i think you know it's an interesting world where people are moving and i mean you were talking you know, we were talking before podcast began about you know people like nikki bright who's brilliant who was a head teacher and is now doing something completely different people are living longer and working longer so the idea of you're in your last 10 years of teaching you're about to just basically toddle off and play bowls and then you'll you'll sink gently, you know, into into your your retirement and knitting or whatever. It's not the case. People are leaving and having thirty odd years of different careers or different lives. It's like surely we should be tapping into that. Yeah, great points. Now we've talked about so many things. Of course we have, <laughs> <laughs> which are not really to do with early career teachers and initiative, but it's been brilliant. Final few words. What would you say to anybody listening to our program? who is thinking about becoming a teacher and we don't want to put them off, you know, so, so why would, why would you embark on a career in teaching? Final question. Because it's, because it's absolutely the best fun you can ever have. You have the opportunity to make a real impact on young people's lives and not in a fluffy bunny way, but in a way of preparing them for life and pastorally and academically and you're part of a community, you're part of something bigger than you, you know, and I think that's a glorious thing, you know, it stretches you academically, it does stretch you emotionally, you will laugh more in a staff room than you will, you, you ever thought was possible, you will also tear your hair out, but you will have fun, um, and you will have these amazing opportunities, and you will meet people along the way that absolutely impact on your life, that you will keep in touch with and that you will value and you will learn from, you know, there are role models aplenty um, in that profession. And, you know, life is too short not to do something you love. Yeah. Do it. You know, if you love a subject or you, you know, it's, it's a glorious, glorious job. Brilliant. I think that's the way to end Judith. We've, we've, we've put the world to rights, but we we've have. finished on a really, on a really, really, yeah positive note so can i say thank you ever so much for joining me and my on today's program and um hopefully we can talk again maybe in a couple of years time when this whole process has has, has worked its way through i would absolutely love to do that and um yes see what see what my thoughts are you know in a couple of years about the whole program it'd be yeah it'd be really interesting okay brilliant thanks judith take care You have been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify 
or Apple Podcasts.